and I asked him, do you trust me? No. <laughs> Yes, and, and, and earlier someone mentioned that, are you at the helm? And I, I said, yes, and I hope the ship don't sink. Well, you know what the captain does. Goes down with the ship, right? <laughs> so welcome, if you don't know, I'm Reverend Lynn Spencer. I've, I and my wife Donna have been here four and a half years. We retired here from southwest Kansas where I was in the ministry at one congregation, actually two congregations at the same time, for 36 years. And never left there since the seminary days. So uh, I had a culture shock when I moved from southwest Kansas when there was one stoplight in a 100-mile stretch of Highway 54 <laughs> to a place where you learn how to sit at stoplights. <laughs> I grew up with no stoplights and yeah. no yeah. So anyway, uh, thank you for being here. I think everybody has signed this. I'm going to try to uh, uh, keep the flow going. And based upon pastor's flow, <clears throat> we don't have to be in a real big hurry, do we? <laughs> All right. Uh, as pastor... Well, but that's the fun of it, right? If I ask them, you answer them, right? Yeah. I'm supposed to do a podcast. So I'm going to... It's working. Oh, it's on. Uh-oh. Okay. Let's begin in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, the devotion from Martin Luther's Faith Alone 365 devotional readings by Martin Luther. They're very good. Today's scripture. Then the end will come. No, oh, this is 1 Corinthians 15, 24. Then the end will come. Christ will hand over the kingdom to God the Father as he destroys every rule, ruler, authority, and power. Paul says Christ will hand over the kingdom to God the Father. How can that be? Everywhere else, the scripture says he will remain king forever and his kingdom will never end. But Paul says in this verse that Christ will hand over the kingdom and lay in his father's lap his crown, scepter, and everything else. How can we resolve this? Here's the answer. In this verse, Paul is speaking about Christ's kingdom on earth. This is a kingdom of faith. Instead of reigning in a visible public way, he reigns through the word. To us, it's like looking at the sun through a cloud. We see the light, but we don't see the sun itself. But when the clouds leave, we see both the light and the sun at the same time in the same object. Similarly, Christ now reigns undivided with the Father. <clears throat> it's one and the same kingdom. But to us, it appears dark, hidden, concealed, and covered. He wants to reign secretly and invisibly in our hearts by the word alone. Through the word, he protects and upholds us in our weakness against the world's might and power. Though the kingdom is now here on earth, it will be later, it will later be in heaven. It will not be covered and hidden as it now appears. A gold coin remains a gold coin whether I hide it in my pocket or pull it out and hold it in my hand. In the same way, Christ will present and publicly display before the eyes of the whole world the treasure that is now concealed from us. So far, Martin Luther. Uh, you might recognize this verse. Now we see as in a mirror, dimly or darkly, but then we shall see face to face. And maybe that's, uh, uh, we know we are in the kingdom of heaven, but we don't fully understand it, see it, whatever, as we will when we reach heaven. So, now I believe we're on lesson 17. Is that correct? Okay. And if anybody needs a 17 paper, it's up here on the desk. And I believe you got through question number two. Is that correct? Yes. 
So we can assume that we should get it loose, at least through question four today. All right. That's, let's get into the context a little bit. We're in Revelation chapter 14. Would someone please read verses 1 through 5? Then I looked, and there before me was the Lamb, standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, who his name and his father's name, or had on him their father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a sound from heaven like the roar of rushing waters and like a loud peal of thunder. The sound I heard was like that of harpists playing their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. No one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. There are, or these are those who do, did not defile themselves with women, for they kept themselves pure. They follow the Lamb wherever He goes. They were purchased from among men and offered as firstfruits to God and the Lamb. No lie was found in their mouths. They are blameless. Okay, let's read 6 through 13, and that far we'll stop. Someone read 6 through 8. Then I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. He said in a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of the water. A second angel followed and said, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, which made all the nations drink the maddening wine of her adulterers. And then 9 through 13, someone. A third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives its mark on their forehead or on their hand, they too will drink the wine of God's fury which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. They will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. There will be no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and its image or for anyone who receives the mark of its name. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the people of God who keep his commands and remain faithful to Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven say, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labor, for their deeds will follow them. All right, has anything hit anybody that you want to bring up at this time, as in just those verses that were read? It's a lot in there. Keep in mind, Revelation is a book of imagery and symbolism and so on, and there's meaning behind them all. Yes, sir? Uh, in verse 11, it, it, it kind of sounds like this, that they take this mark of the beast voluntarily. But in other locations, it sounds to me like that, you know they're branded with this mark of the beast. I'm just curious where it was. Uh, what puts that mark on them? Well, it's who does it? Let's ask her what first, and then the who, then the who. Obviously, Satan. Okay, Satan would be the who. What what causes that mark to be on? Fallen from. <clears throat> you can't you can't buy and sell. Okay. What's the mark? That believers have cross. the cross. Where's your name written in the, book of life. in the book of life? What's the mark? What's the number of the beast and on those who follow the beast? The six six six. What does that represent? Thank you. Thank you. Now we're going somewhere. So what, well, I'll give you a hint. Let's look at John chapter 3. 
I don't know if this is going to answer your question, but we're, we're getting to an answer I want to come up with. John chapter 3, not verse 16, but verse 17. And let's see, maybe also 18. John 3, you know John 3.16, right? Do you know John 3.17? This verse 18 is what I want. So I'm going to read verse 17 and 18 of John 3. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Using that verse, who are those who have the mark of the beast? Those who don't believe. Those who don't believe. And what is their spiritual condition? According to that verse, they are condemned. Now take that back to the question. Thank you. Now, what was the question? <laughs> is, it voluntary? is it voluntary? Is it voluntary? That's what this question was. Do they put the mark on themselves or did they? They chose it by their choices, I guess. Don't go there. Yeah, you know, if they are unbelievers, that's their choice. Don't go there. <laughs> no, how would there be by the refusal of the the gift and the Holy Spirit and the belief? The rejection of but what, what go back to John three. The world is already in what condition? Condemned because of Go further. What kind of sin? Thank you. Original sin. So the world already stands condemned. The world, in other words, since the fall, I gave it away. Since what event? Since the fall into sin, the world already stands condemned and is automatically, by virtue of being conceived in original sin, under what state? Condemnation, judgment, the world stands condemned. So where do they get the mark? Thank you. Go step nine months before that. Sorry, I did that. Conception. The world already stands condemned. So we inherit the condition or the number, if you will. And what changes that? Thank you! And the work of the Holy Spirit through the means of grace brings you from the kingdom of Satan into the kingdom of Christ or the kingdom of God. And who gets all the credit for that? Jesus. The Holy Spirit. We could say God, triune God, Jesus, God. The Holy Spirit is the one who does the work of conversion through the means of grace. So I don't know if I handled your question satisfactorily. Yeah, I'm kind of glad I asked. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> Thank you for asking. <laughs> In other words, we won't have a choice. We have one choice. We can't buy our own That's right. We can't accept, but we can reject. We can reject. We can't accept. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. I think you did this last week, right? No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. What you can do is push him away. That's the rejection. 
Uh, I know you did this last week, and so I don't want to belabor the point, and you may have already talked this, but Adam and Eve were already in what condition? Well, to start with, they yeah, fine. they were perf perfect. They didn't make themselves holy. God did that. But what could they do? They could sin, push it away, reject it, which is what they did. Thankfully, God continues the work of the Holy Spirit and we get to be in the kingdom of God. What does that have to do with today? Who do you think the 144,000 are? Yes. Say it louder. It's us. Who's the us? The church on earth. Those who are believers. Yeah, did, did you talk about the... I think it's in Revelation 7 where we talked about the 144,000, didn't we? Yeah. Maybe we don't need to belabor that. Well, the, the verse says the 144,000 who did not defile themselves with women. Oh, it's just men that get in. <laughs> well, some of them. I've never seen that. I've never. <laughs> now wait a minute. You can play that silly game, and you end up doing what some other churches do, and say what? Yeah. Or there's one church body that says only a literally only 144,000 are going to get there, folks. If that's the case. <laughs> But I've never heard them say only 144,000 men. I mean, I, I worked with one and she, she you know, believed that, that women would be a part of that. And yet it says right you know, here, here's, it's just men. You want to have some fun with that? If they're going to be that literal, then you'd point it to that and say, sorry, lady, you're not in. That's right. Because well, it I says that, women. I bet I mean, that's not in their Bible. Right, probably. I don't know. Yeah. Well, give me, give me just, just briefly, without taking a lot of time, what's the number 144,000? Yeah. 12 times 12 times 10 times 10 times 10. 10 is the number of completeness. 12 is the number of 3 times 4. And, you, you know, if you're into numerology and doing all that symbolism, there's a lot of stuff you can do with that. But it ends up being a number that, that talks about God's work with His church. And the, all of people from the time that God's Holy Spirit has been at work, be careful when you put start that. When does that start? No. I mean, in, in world history, when, does the work, when did the work of the Spirit start? Pentecost. Nope. Creation at the very beginning. But Pentecost was a special outpouring of the Holy Spirit to begin the work of the New Testament church and the gospel and so on. Yes. But the Holy Spirit has been at work since he hovered over the waters at creation. Right? Wrote every word. There you go. So the work of the Spirit is to establish the kingdom of God on earth through the Christ. By the way, the Old Testament people were saved how? Through the priest. Of Christ. Abraham rejoiced to see my day, Jesus saying, and he saw it and was glad. And then Jews said, wait a minute, you're not even 50 years old yet. How can you say that you've seen Abraham? Abraham rejoiced to see my day. How was Abraham saved? I believe By faith in the promised Savior, the promised Christ. Remember the covenant. Covenant was the way God worked in the Old Testament. Remember the new covenant. It, it's amazing. Didn't, it the blood, is, didn't the blood uh, of the sacrifice uh, signify the coming of the Jesus? The shedding blood that would save people from their sins. Yep. So much beautiful symbolism in Scripture. It's amazing. We've got to do something in Revelation today. <laughs> We're on question number three. What is the new song of Psalm 98 about? Let's look at Psalm 98. You... I know you've heard this psalm. Sing a new song. Let's read it. It's not long. Someone read. Oh, we don't have to read the whole thing. 
Yes, we do. Someone read 1, 2, and 3 of Psalm 98. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord a new song. For he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Someone read four through six. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Does God like music, by the way? Oh, yeah. You bet he does. Read 7 through 9. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands, let the hills sing for joy together. Before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the people with equity. Okay, back to question three. What is the new song of Psalm 98 about? Salvation. Yes. Praising God for his gift of salvation or redemption. Who is going to redeem if there's any redeeming to be done? God. So who gets the credit for redemption? God. By the way, this goes back to catechetical days. What's redeem mean? I heard it. To buy back. God buys us back. That must mean something about a payment has to be made. And what was the payment? Jesus' blood. That's a contract. So, yeah. What is the new song of Psalm 98? It's a song of praising God for His redemption. Could this be the same theme used by the 144,000 in Revelation 14.3? Read Revelation 14.3 again, please, someone. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. No one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. There's that word redeemed. Probably a lot of faces in there. <laughs> well, if only men are going. That's right. As in, besides face. Could this be the same theme used by the 144,000? Why not? The answer is yes. By the way, when you look in various places in Revelation, and I think we've come up against them, when a song is being sung or being something is being said before the throne, what is it, what, what's it doing? What's the song doing? Praying. Praising God, right? The angels, those before the throne, they're praying. What are you going to do in heaven? We're going to work. <laughs> Wait a minute. We're going to be praising God, right? Before him and the throne, before him and the Lamb, we're going to be praising God. I don't fully comprehend how that's all going to happen. And what you like for music, and what I like for music, and what God likes for music. Did you, I, some, I'm going to age myself here, okay? Somehow I just can't imagine hip-hop being sung before the throne. <laughs> but... It's not the music, it's the words. Well, it's the joy. It's the words. You can sing There's a good question. Does that mean you get the back pew? A joyful noise, right? Some of the most beautiful music I've ever heard in a worship service is from the mouth of children. And some of them can't sing on tune for nothing. But it's still a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful noise. I, that just sends shivers up my spine to hear children sing. It's beautiful. Only those who know God's salvation through the Lamb are capable of learning this heavenly song. 
What'd that say? No one could learn the song except the 144,000. Why? Yes. Faith. Faith. It's a song of faith. And only and those who don't have faith can't sing this song. They can't learn the song. The song is a song of praise to God for his redemption through Jesus Christ. All right, we've already brought this up. Question four. By the way, any comments about question three? Question four. In what sexual state is Zion? In Lamentations chapter 2, verse 13, and Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 13. So somebody look Lamentations 2, 13. Somebody else look Jeremiah 18, verse 13. Lamentations. What can I say for you? With, with what can I compare you, O daughter of Jerusalem? To what can I liken you that I may comfort you, O virgin daughter of Zion? Your wound is as deep as the sea. Who can heal you? Did you talk about Zion in here? You did, didn't you? I mean, in the Revelation, what's, what's Zion or Zion? It can be referencing several different things, but in this context, what's it talking about? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. City of David. Actually, all of Israel. All of Israel. Keep going further. Or the earth. Heaven. I heard it. Believers. Believers. The church of God. God's church. We are citizens of Zion, so to speak. Okay, what's the what's the sexual state in Lamentations 2.13? Virginity, right? Jeremiah 18.13. Therefore, thus says the Lord, ask among the nations who has heard the like of this, the virgin Israel has done a very horrible thing. God calls Israel what? A virgin. Now, what's, what's, which is what we were doing with saying only the women, only the men hadn't defiled themselves with women. Put the church in what position if we were talking a marriage? What is the church? The bride. Who is the groom? Christ. What condition must the church be in to be the bride of the bridegroom? Virginity. Sinless. Blameless. I don't know about you, but that scares me a little bit. <laughs> Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. This is not in your book. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. You may have heard this at a wedding. Maybe if, maybe your own wedding text or reading at your wedding. I want to hear verses uh, 25 through... Mm, 27. Someone, Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. There is a lot of theology in those three verses. Mm -hmm. Just as Christ loved the church and did what? Gave himself up for her. To make her in what condition? Holy, holy spotless. spotless. Give me some other words Paul uses there. Cleansed. Cleansed. More. Without blemish. Radiant. Without what conditions? No wrinkles, no stains. Holy and blameless. Are you the bride of Christ? 
Are you? Yes. Yes. You are the bride of Christ. And as the bride of Christ, what is your spiritual condition? Virgin. What's happening in Revelation here is that the condition, the sexual, if you will, allow me to say that, condition of virginity is applied not physically, but spiritually. And Christ must have a virgin bride. That means the bride must be without sin, spot, wrinkle, blemish, radiant, holy. Are you holy now? Yes. Because Christ. Christ, God can't accept anything unholy in his presence. If you're the bride, you better be holy. Well, he's not been working on me yet. <laughs> 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 what, what's the tendency of too many churches start running down this rabbit hole? What's the tendency? Works that works righteousness. And that's always going to leave you with a wrinkle. Or a whole lot of spots. Or a whole lot of dirt. You're never, ever, ever, ever going to be good enough. So how can we, if we are Christ's people, if we are Christ's church, if we are Christ's bride, if we are the 144,000, how can we be virgins spiritually? Jesus. Sir? Yes, I'm looking for a word. Not by my own reason or strength. There's the work of the Holy Spirit. Fellowship, communion with Christ. You're right. Forgiveness, the grace of God. Through whose, what, give me, I, 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 I want to dig the, huh? The blood of Christ cleanses us from sin. All, oh, I heard it, I heard it, I heard it. So what's the opposite of that? Righteous. How are you righteous, which is another way of saying holy, blameless, without spot, without wrinkle. How are you righteous before God and thus able to be the virgin bride of Christ? Through Christ's blood. Through the death of Christ. Through sacrifice. Uh-huh. His blood. First John chapter 1. Someone look it up. First John, not the Gospel of John. First John chapter 1. I hope we may not get out of here until after church. That's a continuation. We'll I, okay, okay, that's right. First John chapter 1, I want verse 1 and 2. I'm pulling this off the top of my head. No, that's not what I want. Verse 7. First John chapter 1, verse 7. The bride has to be, according to the verse there, cleansed. So what cleanses us from all sin? The blood of Christ. And that makes us pure, holy, blameless, not because of our righteousness, but because of Christ's righteousness, which has been put on us by faith, beginning at your baptism. You are the virgin bride of Christ because of the righteousness of Christ. If he wants a church, he had to make the church holy himself. Back to, does anybody still have the Ephesians 5 passage yet? Sorry about that. I'll go to it. He gave himself up for her to make her holy. Are you holy? But you're still a sinner, right? But the righteousness of Christ has covered that sin and you are holy and blameless in the eyes of God through the righteousness of Christ. Take that seriously. I'm still a filthy, miserable, stinking sinner. And in confession, when I say I a poor, miserable sinner, I mean that. I'm a miserable, stinking sinner. And that turns some people off. I'm not a sinner. Well, at least I'm not a filthy sinner. <laughs> 
Yes, I am a filthy sinner. But the righteousness of God, the blood of Christ has washed that sin. And now I stand before the throne, before the lamb, before the bridegroom, holy and blameless and cleansed by his righteousness. You have the garment of salvation. Who are those who stand before the throne? Have we got that far in Revelation yet? Those who have washed their robes. It's in Revelation 7. Someone look it up. Who are those who stand before the throne? Those who have washed themselves in the blood of the Lamb. Wow! You are already holy. In the eyes of God. Through faith because of the righteousness that has been put on you. But it's a whole lot easier to say, I'm a filthy sinner because I know what I do. I know how I live. I know what I think. I know what I say. Then to say, I am pure and righteous. I mean, that almost, we're not supposed to be proud. We're supposed to be humble. And by saying something like that, it almost seems wrong. I, I desire to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. So how can, Paul says, I will boast in one thing, Christ and the cross of Christ. So it's not, a. It, I understand what you're saying, because in humility, we acknowledge we are sinners before God and we don't deserve any of what he has done for us. But he's done it and we have it so we can be proud, not of ourselves, but of Christ and what we are in Christ. Maybe we're not really believing what we say about it, we're, we're going to say, we want you to do this, but we don't really believe that it's done. You know, when you say Yeah, because it's like, I guess, I guess maybe it's easier to stomach to, than I as a human am a filthy sinner, but I as a Christian am holy, righteous, and pure. It's just real. Yeah. There's a saying for that, though. Simile Eustace. Epicator. At the same time, saint and sinner. Sinner and saint at the same time. And sometimes I say I'm a sinful saint. And sometimes I say I'm a saintly sinner. Which one's right? Both. <laughs> now we can go back to Revelation chapter 7. I mean, 14. Well, I have looked at First John, the verse number 10. It says, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar. Mm -hmm. And his word has no place in our lives. Boy, is that appropriate for some people who think they're better than others. <laughs> yeah. Or who think they're, within Christianity, there is a, a number of denominations that are holiness groups. And they believe that you have to be holy to be considered in the kingdom. Mm -hmm. You come down on one of two wrong sides of that coin or that continuum. <coughs> if you believe what your church says there, that you have to be holy to be saved, and you know in your heart because of conscience and the law that you are a sinner, then what must your conclusion be? You're lost. You can't be saved. You're lost. The other wrong side of that continuum is that uh, if you have to be holy to be saved, I mean, holy in and of yourself, mm -hmm. then you're convinced you're holy, then what are you denying? You're that you're a sinner and you need the grace of God every day. So Lutherans get things kind of, well, it seems like the, what does pastor call it? The state of flux that we seem to be in on some things. We are sinful saints. We're still sinners and we won't be till the day we die. Not proud of it, but it's the truth. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from who gets all the credit for this? So instead of beating ourselves up every time we mess up, we have to ask forgiveness and then almost make a, a mental exercise of putting on that righteousness again. Go back to your what? Yeah. Baptism. Yeah. Go back to your baptism. Yeah. You've been clothed with Christ. So, yeah, God forgive me and thank God for forgiving me. 
When the pastor, when we confess our sins in church, oh, church is so important, people. Mm. This is not a guilt trip. But when you hear the confession, I mean, when you make the confession and hear this absolution, you walk out of that church and you walk away from that communion table holy and blameless and righteousness before the throne of God. Yeah. Don't beat yourself up. Quit crucifying yourself. Christ already was. I was raised in a church very much like what you were talking about. And the problem, and uh, I experienced this early on, it leads you to either pride or despair. Mm -hmm. One or the other. Yeah, that's the only options. Yeah. You don't, mm. there's no comfort. Right. Well, unless you take comfort in the self-comfort of pride, but that's dangerous. Mm -hmm. I once had someone tell me, I think I've only sinned once in this last week. <laughs> and I sinned 47 times just thinking how to respond to it. Your name is written in the book of life. There you go. Who's the 144,000? Those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Who's the 144,000? Those who have the mark of Christ. Who's the 144,000? The church on earth. Who's the 144,000? All believers. Now let's handle the women thing. Let's let, let's let women get into heaven. Okay? We appreciate that. You know, you know, if if you want to, you know, people, so many people in the study of Revelation want to take everything so literally, and if they're going to play that game, then you can push them right into the corner. With if you take one thing literally, then you have to take everything literally, and if you want to play that hundred forty-four thousand game, then you also have to play the game that says only men are going to get there, because here it says those who have not defiled themselves with. Remember the women here represent who? Church. The, bride. the bride. And the bride must be in what condition? Virginity. Virginity. Pure, redeemed, forgiven, blameless, holy. And that's, that's us. That's us. All us women. Yes. <laughs> yes. 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 Remember, in he as Paul says it somewhere, there is neither male neither. nor female, slave nor free, Jew nor Greek or Gentile. We're all one in Christ. Go ahead. Yes, ma'am. I got married a guy who was raised Mormon. Of course... They, they go to the Lutheran church. Well, I guess that's what it is. Right. <laughs> um, he was raised that a woman only gets into heaven if the man calls her, that's right. changes her name and calls her. Then she can go to heaven. Otherwise, she cannot. And one of the fastest growing churches in the North America is? Mormon Church. You know why? No. Family. They're knocking on doors. <laughs> yeah, well, they have a very attractive youth program. <laughs> attractive approach to what our world needs. Yeah. Morals, family, Who? being good and righteous and so on. Loving your neighbor. Love your neighbor, take care of one another. It's all works. All the but it's all works righteousness. That's right. And that's the trouble. It's not that we shouldn't do those things. It's that we don't do them for salvation. That's another whole Bible study. All right, back to Revelation. Where am I? Question, did we finish four? I'm, I'm going to give you some answers. In what sexual state is Zion in Lamentations 2 and Jeremiah 18 virginity? Can we assume New Jerusalem is in the same state? The answer is yes. yes. Read Revelation 21, 1 and 2. 
Someone read Revelation 21, 1 and 2. Anybody have it? Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. A bride dressed for her husband. Who's the husband? Christ. Who's the bride? The church. And who's the church? Us, the believers. And you are all virgins. Spiritually, through the righteousness of Christ. How about the 144,000 in Revelation 14.4? They are explicitly described as those who did not defile themselves with women. What does this suggest about the symbolism of their virgin states? Virginity is about how we are cleansed by Jesus' blood before coming into God's presence. Remember that the 144,000 represent the church militant, the believers on earth, that is, the true church on earth following Jesus and doing His will. As such, they represent all true believers and are clean or virginal because of the cleansing by Jesus' blood. This passage in no way suggests that there is some special place in heaven for those who remain virgins throughout their lives. If that were the case, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob wouldn't be in heaven. Exactly. In fact, the Bible specifically teaches that God made male and female for each other, and He told them to do what? Multiply and fill the earth. And the union of marriage is blessed by God. So don't take this out of the context and literally take it for what is meant. Virginity in this passage is about our state spiritually before God. How about that? We've already answered this. How, this is question five. How are we made blameless before God, even as are the 144,000 of Revelation 14, 5? Revelation 7, 14. Confessing. We've said it time and again again, but one more time. Revelation 7, 14. Let's look it up. Someone have it? How are you adorned before the groom? Through the blood of the Lamb. Through the blood of the Lamb. Now, now these, these are the ones that are under the altar, right? Church militant, yes. But they came out of the uh, tribulation, the great tribulation. Are we ready to do something with that? Or did you already do something with that? What is the great tribulation? Generally speaking, overall. Life in this world, in the sin-cursed world, right? Yeah. yeah. I think that's a good way to leave it. That's not, the, not the end tribulation. Uh, I, yeah, we're going to get there later on in later chapters The as the beast is, or the dragon is released we, or whatever. We can't take the sign, though, you know, on the hand and the forehead, 666 or right. you know, anyone with that. Who is that? That's People who are not Christian. That's it. That's the answer. When Jesus stands on the last day and separates the sheep from the goats, mm -hmm. what does he say to the sheep? Come. Come, you who are blessed by the Father. That's very significant. Doesn't say, Come, you, you who have made yourselves right with God. Come, you who are blessed. What does he say to the goats? Depart from me, you who are cursed. Who are the blessed? 
The believers who are the cursed. Back to John chapter 3. Those who still stand. John 3, 17 and 18. I heard it. Condemned. Those who still are under the condemnation of sin. Depart from me, you who are cursed. Come unto me, you who are blessed. And there's the answer. Blessed by God. We actually covered three questions. And we can go further. Let's go to question six. Um, yes, let's do it. In question, I mean, Revelation 14, 6 through 13 begins with what event? Well, it's all about what event? What, 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 what uh, being? What beings are angels? angels. How many angels are there? Three. Okay, I'm going to quickly go through this since we've been a while since we read it. Then I saw another angel flying in midair. He had the eternal gospel. Verse 8. A second angel followed and said, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. Verse 9. A third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark on the forehead or on the hand, he too will drink of the wine of God's fury. Okay, just in what I just read, three angels. One specifically has what tool? The Bible. I heard it. The gospel. The other two have what warning? What warning? Wrath of God. The judgment of God. And we're not going to get to it today, but here, here's, by the way, before I run out of time, are you okay if I come back next week? Yes. <laughs> you've got to finish. <laughs> if you're alive. <laughs> Give me one word that describes God's judgment eternally. Eternal torment. One word. Torment. Separation. Give me a place. A place for God. Hell. Does hell exist? Yes. We're going to spend a little time next week if we get that far. <laughs> on seeing if hell really exists. Make a fire. Good. That's, that's a precursor. Question six. Do you see a progression of thought in the message of, th of the three angels? That question presumes the answer will be yeah. yes. What is that progression? The first angel brings an appeal to the people of the earth. He proclaims what? One last time. The gospel. the gospel. And what is the gospel? Christ died for you. Jesus Christ died for your sins. That all men might recognize the one true God and worship Him alone. The second angel announces the fall of Babylon the Great. We'll talk about that more in a little bit. The third angel declares that those who worship the beast will drink what? The wrath of God. You do not want to drink God's wrath. It sounds like it's burning sulfur. More to that next week. Either that or a very bad wine. <laughs> <laughs> Have you, has anybody ever had very bad wine? I think oh, yeah. we got rid of <laughs> creatures. I think we said. Yeah, there's one in Eureka Springs that'll put poison stickers on it. Uh, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Uh, I, I have I have till 10.30, don't I? Yeah. Let's handle the business about Babylon the Great. Yeah. Uh, it, it's a little bit surprising, and I'm reading notes that Pastor has provided. Okay. John apparently assumed his readers would know what Babylon stands for. Well, what, what do we know about Babylon? In, in, in biblical history, what do we know about Babylon? Very simple. Okay, a corrupt... Actually, it was a very successful city. They had a lot of money, a lot of convenience. Oh, keep that thought. Don't lose that thought. They put, their, they put their everything on things. Okay. It was, a, it was the center of the angel, angel world. Yeah. 
It was considered a great city. Great city. It would be in the ancient world it would be comparable to something like a big financial center like London or New York. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it was the center of power for um, the, at that time the entire known world. It was huge. Three day travel across it. So that, what did that make Babylon in relationship to Israel or to Jerusalem? An enemy, right? A great enemy. They conquered. They conquered Jerusalem, right? Yeah, they did. Yeah, they did. Where, where was where was where was the deportation to? Babylon. Right when they overran Jerusalem, and of course it was God's punishment upon the Israelites for their apostate nature. We'll At get. that time, Babylon, whenever they conquered some some place, they would take the people who lived there and disperse them amongst their empire and bring in other people. So that way, the people who had been conquered could not come together and try and revolt. Good. Uh, Good. Countries that are still doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. In the Old Testament, Babylon was the capital of a world empire known for its corruption. More to the point, it was remembered as the conqueror of God's people. Would the Jews of John's day know what he's talking about? Yes, they would have. Definitely. Definitely an enemy of Israel. In John's day, Rome was viewed as in much the same way as was Babylon of old. Both were conquerors of most of the known world, the Roman Empire, and both encouraged the worship of a host of pagan gods, idolatry. Symbolically, Babylon represents the powerful combination of the two beasts that we've already studied. The beast that came up out of the sea and the beast that came up out of the land and worshiped the dragon and got, it, got their power from the dragon. They represent false religion and corrupt government that all together worked against the church. So Babylon the Great would be a symbolical way of saying the enemy of the church both from an economic and political and spiritual, not spiritual, religion in the sense of world religions, but false religion, not the true religion. Yes, sir. Yeah, uh, I've heard people call the United States Babylon. Hmm. What about that? <laughs> well, the... What do you think? Their voices are their work on. <laughs> if they haven't made it, they're darn close, right? <laughs> I, this is a short question. We can handle it. How many people are included? This is question seven on your worksheet. Okay. How many people are included in the first angel's proclamation in chapter 14, verse 6? How many people? Every nation tribe, language, and people. In other words, who? Everybody. Everybody. Through whom is the gospel proclaimed? Through whom is the gospel proclaimed? Through. Acts 1, 8, and Acts 8, 4. Good. The Holy Spirit at work through whom? It's through the power. Yeah. In Acts 1, 8, who was it specifically? Acts 1, 8. Who was it? The apostles. Acts 8 4. Who was it? Acts 8 4. Who was it? Unless this is a typo. Does somebody have Acts 8 4? Yeah, I do. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. So who was involved? Uh, yeah, the apostles. The, the, well, first Acts 1-8 specifically of the apostles, but those who were scattered took what with them? So guess who's part of that? Yeah, we are. But who's doing the work? The Holy Spirit. Can I stop there? We start at number eight next time, right?
Oh, this will be an interesting. Dare we join the modern tendency to discount hell as imagery? Oh, we're going to have fun with that one. Okay. Uh, any comments, questions? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for making us a part of your church through Christ and through the power of your Holy Spirit. Bless us as we live in this sin-corrupt world. Keep us in the faith. Help us to see the beauty that we are before Christ, our bridegroom. Bless our worship. Bless our week. Bless our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you.